I want to first start off by saying big thank you to all the wonderful people who are supporting the Patreon for this podcast. They are getting some awesome bonus stuff, like special recordings, sneak peeks of artwork and other projects that I'm working on, and they are helping grow this podcast. They are helping move towards the goal of providing transcriptions so that deaf people can take part in these conversations. And they are also helping support the work that I do, running down guests, getting people on the show, coordinating people in different time zones and on other sides of the planets. And finally, they're helping improve the production value of this podcast by allowing me to start considering acquiring better equipment and get away from some of the janky duct tape together process I've been doing for a long time. If you dig the podcast, jump over to patreon.com slash the hermit's lamp and pitch in. Every dollar helps. So welcome to the Hermit's Lamp podcast. I am here today with Paige Zafariu, and she is a tarot reader and uh, all-around magical being. And uh, I thought it was time for us to have some conversations so that people could get to know her and see what she's about. So for people who don't know you, Paige, who are you? What are you up to? What's going on over there? Hi, Andrew. Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, thank you so much for having me, first of all. It's such a pleasure to be here on your esteemed podcast. Um, my, uh, my whole dealio, I guess, is uh, uh, I'm a so-called eclectic shamanic artist, which uh, is a bunch of words that means I use a variety of different media, uh, a cl- very eclectic media, to do a variety of things. Um, I am a tarot reader uh, and an astrologer and a ritualist and spirit-initiated shaman, as well as a fine artist. I do watercolors, book binding, artist books, uh, tarot and oracle decks, and um, other visual media. And uh, all of it really is united by my very Aries enthusiasm. Uh, uh, That's really my my jam. I just Mm -hmm. love being here. I'm so happy to be an incarnated being right now. What a time to be alive. Definitely. What a time to be alive, huh? <laughs> mm-hmm. So when I, when I hear you talk about all the things that you're up to, mm-hmm. I feel like, Hey, you're, you and I have this in common, right? Like, you know, an artist and rich, like, you know, and many of those things, Maybe not the astrologer part. Um, I don't feel it's more of an amateur thing for me than uh, than a more serious thing. But um, how do you how do you sort of hold that together? You know. Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I guess I'll I'll start by saying that the, for the context in my life, I am someone who has been diagnosed with ADHD from a very young age, maybe an unusually young age. When I was about seven years old, I was recruited for a medical study at Mass General Hospital on girls with ADHD. And I was part of that medical study for 13 years. And so the context for my life has always been uh, one who is able to hold many things 
in the sort of container of my mind, practice, and daily life with, if not ease, uh, a sort of natural, mm-hmm. just sort of that just is how it is. There's always been a lot going on in my life. And um, the juggling act has been something that, uh, that I guess you could apply the old saying of it's about the journey, not the destination. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a certain enjoyment I get from juggling all the things that I do and all the different pieces. And part of that joy is in pattern recognition is in looking for the patterns between things that might seem to be very different, but they have a sort of underlying unifying pattern of some kind and finding out what that is, has been part of the joy for me, even if it's not readily apparent. And even if I still don't quite have uh, all the answers for what that might be, it's a, it's something I enjoy very much that mystical constant searching for why do I do the things I do? What is it about this that draws me? Why am I called in this direction and surrendering myself to the, the joy of the journey and the joy of seeking those answers, which is definitely a big part of being a shaman as well. And, and uh, the shamanic technology is about the journey is the experience. The journey is the answer. The question is the answer be able to hold all those things at one time. Yeah, I, I dig it. I feel like, um, for me, for me, the sort of diversity of what I do is more, I mean, I, I, I think of it as there are just times where applying myself in different ways is makes more sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, Oh, what does this person need? Well, they need no. They need some art made, and the art will help them get into that space, you know. And the, for me, the, it's kind of this sort of constant search. Not so much like in terms of a journey, although I mean it's obviously a journey, but more so in the sense of it's constant search for better ways to articulate, express myself, mm. you know. And I feel like it's about finding those spaces where I'm present and able to be present and share from that place whether that's cards or art or you know any of the other kinds of things that i get into so yeah absolutely so how you said uh spirit-led shamanism how did how did that come about like where where was the start of that for you oh my gosh um i would say the 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 real start of that was um when i was about uh uh 25 maybe i was in my you know early mid-20s um, I was really starting to deepen my relationship to the tarot, and uh, I, I, it all started when I got this tarot deck, the Wildwood Tarot, which you mm-hmm. are probably familiar with. Um, and it's a very druidic kind of shamanic deck, and it started drawing me in towards the path of shamanism. And uh, I, I really felt called to explore that more and begin to educate myself. And uh, I basically called up my parents and said, you know, mom, dad, uh, I think I want to be a shaman. And they said, oh, that's really funny. You were baptized by a shaman woman when you were a baby. Uh-huh. I said, oh. Imagine that. Imagine that. So I began to explore more deeply. And then after um, a couple of years, in early 2015, I experienced shaman sickness. Very suddenly, very frighteningly, uh, the unexplained illness that mimics yeah. physical death. Uh, under the tutelage of an initiatory helping spirit who had been in my life for about a year, year and a half, really, really strongly. And um, it all suddenly came together. 
and the shaman sickness has been coming kind of in waves, uh, deepening every year or so. I'll have another, but I just actually very recently experienced another level of shaman sickness. And so when I say spirit led initiation, that's what I mean. I I have Mm -hmm. a helping spirits who are not physical human people, but, but on the spiritual level who are guiding me through these initiatory experiences, teaching me some more shamanic technology, helping me encounter the different cases, the different um, problems that will come across my path for me to really engage with on the shamanic level. And uh, uh, so there wasn't other, other than the the woman who baptized me when I was a baby, there really wasn't a, a, an incarnated human person guiding mm-hmm. me on this path other than the, the teachers and authors who've works that I've read, whose writings I've engaged with, um, whose teachings I've engaged with. It's never been a one-to-one physical mentorship on this path so far uh, with the exception of the other shamans I've encountered who are fairly few and far between uh, the, 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 um, the shamans who've encountered shaman sickness uh, thrust upon them unexpectedly mm-hmm. and gone through that journey as well. How did, how did you, how did you know that it was shaman sickness? Like what, what differentiated that? Um, one of the, I don't know if this is a cop out answer, but I, I just sort of knew mm-hmm. on one level, that was the first level. I just, I just sort of knew this is something not, entirely physical there's something really deep happening here and part of how I knew were the the clues that later when I encountered other shamans who'd experienced the same thing we were able to compare notes and say okay okay now I see what's really happening Mm. here some of those signs included um increased encounters with spirits of the dead Mm -hmm. um very intense encounters with spirits of the dead um uh, symptoms of spiritual attack uh the presence of the initiatory helping spirit and some of the plant helping spirits associated with that spirit. Um, the completely unexplained nature of the illness. There was no, each time it's happened, there's been really no traceable source. It mm. just sort of happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, uh, all the messages, signs, and omens that I was receiving during the periods around that time that made it clear, like you're going through an initiatory experience here. And uh, it wasn't all nicely, neatly revealed at one time. Like, here's what's happening. Here's why. Here's who we are as part of your team. Like, enjoy this nice, clarified experience. <laughs> here's, here's, here's your access card to the back cave, right. you know. And you're now on the team, right? Here's your yeah. welcome package. <laughs> Read through your pamphlets. Wouldn't that be nice? But, uh, yeah, so it, it kind of unfolded over the, the last couple of years. I really was able to retroactively contextualize it and affirm that which at the time I just sort of knew to be what was happening. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's always interesting um, how different ways of knowing fit into these kinds of journeys. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's the thing that we feel at the time, and then there's the sort of uh, deeper moments of clarity that come later. Mm. that then as you say sort of trickle backwards you know yeah and you know like when i got initiated in the orisha tradition one of the things that they talked about was the fact that these spirits had been with me since childhood you know mm-hmm. guiding me and looking out for me and you know it's like i mean i grew up in small town ontario mm-hmm. it's not something that i expected you right. know and yet and yet I knew that the influence of spirit was there for a, for a long time, right? So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's I a good way to put that. 
Yeah, it's always it's always a challenge, you know, because I run a store because it's open. You know, I, I deal with anybody off the street a lot. People often arrive with such like concrete ideas of what's going on, and I'm always mm-hmm. like, "Oh, slow down, slow. Let's find out. Let's look. Let's see what it is now. Maybe so, right? Mm-hmm. And then let's explore and, and verify, and then deepen that understanding. And you know, the, the sort of, and then and then we'll get to that moment that you're talking about where. It starts to congeal until you can see what the actual story is. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. There's almost a, like a detective kind of element to it where you, you're gathering your evidence, you're observing, but you're trying not to judge and just be like, okay, I'm just going to be with what this is. What is this? Yeah. And what, is my, what are my extra senses telling me about this that I might not be able to verify yet with uh, actual evidence, but I'm just going to be with that and see how it plays out over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. so how does the how does the art fit into it for you oh the art that's something as well as the spirit that's just always been there uh, mm-hmm. but it's been a little bit more clearly uh defined through the years because it's a little bit more uh, it's easier to uh to kind of contextualize art. And uh, I come from a family of artists. I don't mm-hmm. necessarily come from a family of shamans. So I always had the, the artistic um, context for my life uh, that enabled me to really dig into that and to have that as this support and this, this means of, of exploring my experience. Mm-hmm. Art was always something you could turn to to dig into that. And it took me until college to find really my medium and my happy place. Mm-hmm. I was extremely fortunate. I studied at the University of Massachusetts in my home state. And uh, it just so happened that one of the professors there was a renowned watercolor artist named Richard Yard, who uh, has since passed. Uh, mm-hmm. Rest in peace. He was an absolute master of the craft. And uh, really taught me a lot about the medium and, and created a space for me to really say, wow, this is what, this is for me. And it was just like that with the tarot. Tarot was not my first divination tool. The I Ching was my first divination tool. Huh. My mother taught me to throw the I Ching as a teenager. But when I encountered the tarot as a fine artist, I was like, oh, man, this is it. This is the stuff right here. Words yeah, yeah. and pictures Look. and symbols. Sign so me up. Down. Mm, yeah. So down. Yeah. And then realizing that I'd been painting like a watercolorist all those years, mm. but I didn't have the skills with the medium because it's a very difficult medium. Yeah. Notoriously so, but with the confidence of a great master behind me to explore that, get to know that, and then uh, take it from there kind of. So watercolor has always been my primary medium since, since then. And um, when you were talking earlier about, uh, all the different things that you do and, and the different ways we can kind of understand that for ourselves. The first thing I thought of was fine art was how, even though you might have your medium that you work in and your type of work you do, I tend to be a portrait artist. I tend to be a fairly figurative, illustrative artist. Um, but I get a lot of influence from other disparate art branches, I guess, and, and artists who've gone before. Um, and engaging with other artists as ancestors of spirit has been one of the things that's really bridged the gap for me between the visual arts and the spiritual arts, the sacred arts. Um, recently, uh, here in Salem, 
there's a, an exhibit at the Peabody Essex Museum on Georgia O'Keeffe, uh -huh. for example. And uh, it's a very unique exhibit. It looks at her as a sort of icon of modern style is the phrase they're using. So it's not just her art, but also photographs of her, also yeah. her clothes that she made, her shoes that she wore, her jewelry that she wore. <laughs> and it piecing together this narrative of the unified not only the art she was making, but the way she lived her life, all cohesing together in this, mm -hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, this beautiful tapestry of existence that really spoke to me as both a visual artist and a spiritual artist, if that makes sense. It does. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, the, this sort of notion of, uh, I mean, my friend Fabeku would call it lineage, right? Yes, you know? yes. And like, I, I think of, I, I don't think a lot of a lot of artists as part of my lineage, but mm -hmm. I like really strongly identify with um, both sort of uh, Dali and uh, Andy Warhol as oh, sort of yeah. profound influences, you know? And I find that I turn to that at different times to sort of reconnect with, what is what does it mean to be an artist you know and and in, in sometimes what in some cases what does it mean to be sort of uh like a wild artist or you know this sort of like mm. out there on the edges of like where where art and life and context and and style and all of these things coalesce right and they yeah. they all have symbolic power that could be accessed in one way or another, you know? So, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that there are those artists that really um, bring that forward in a way that, that makes a lot of sense for me. And it reminds me to sort of allow that to continue to unfold in my own life, you know? Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I always find it interesting how, um, how art and artists find their way, you know? I started out, I went to, I used to paint figuratively and then I went to art school and did sort of a lot of postmodern sculpture. Mm. And then I was basically like, screw all that business. I hate it. <laughs> and then I didn't make art for a long time. Mm. And then I got back into painting um, with like gouache and stuff and going back to, you know, very figurative stuff. And then starting maybe about five years ago, I realized as I was like looking for like, less and less hairs on my brush so that I can make finer and finer details. I was like, I want to change this direction up. I want to shake it up. And so I started moving into a, such a, a much more open and exploratory mm. kind of way. Mm. And, you know, so I, I made some art for a show that's opening in Alora in Ontario next week on the, um, on the tarot card, the lovers, oh. you know, it's by Shelly Carter. So, we did the Laura Tarot deck and, and he's a wonderful tarot person and artist uh, and previous guest of the show. And, um, you know, and, and when I showed the work to, to her and a few other people, they're like, oh, they reminded them of like Basquiat. And so there's just sort of like a long journey from, uh, you know, sort of figurativeness to this very sort of uh, loose and colorful and, you know, intense and accidental work that, uh, you know, it's really fun. And I've gone, I've also gone digital. So I make oh. all my work on my iPad because I, I found that having kids made this sort of convenient excuse. I can never get to making art. I'm like, I have an iPad. I can get a stylus. I can do something, you mm -hmm. know? So, but uh, yeah, so, so that's definitely an area where, where the art is the journey for me in some ways. That's where my journey happens because mm -hmm. it's definitely, 
is rarely a thing that I sit down and think about what it's going to be. I just sit down and start working and then I allow stuff to emerge. So, yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by the different ways that artists make art. Yeah, for Endless sure. permutations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've recently, uh, just very recently relocated to Salem. And uh, one of the first things they did upon moving in was to establish a weekly art night with some local mm-hmm. friends, none of whom are very serious, you know, visual artists. Uh, but so, so therefore watching them work has really shaken things up for me. Yeah. It's been something wonderful and seeing how they go about their art making with no formal training, with no expectations for themselves, just like a self-styled fine artist. They're just having mm-hmm. fun and making marks on paper. And that's been a nice shakeup for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's always, it's really interesting to sort of um, have those opportunities to see different ways of working and different people's approaches and stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. I made a, I made a tarot deck last year, which is coming out later this year. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that in the end became very like, shut up, sit down and make art. (laughs) You (laughs) need to get them done. 22 cards to go, 18 (laughs) cards to go. You don't feel like it too bad. Make the art, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and it's the thing that, that, I used to think would really kind of quash my inspiration or creativity, but you know, for me showing up means everything else that wants to come out will show up too, you know? And so, and I think that, that, that it's something that I didn't really understand previously, you know, Mm -hmm. they sort of pushed through that process really brought that out in a way that uh, has permanently, I think changed my relationship to making stuff. So. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. What I've been finding lately is um, in order to get myself psyched up for the big project I'm working on whenever I go to the uh-huh. studio, because this is a big year for me and working on my own tarot decks as well, um, to take that pressure off myself a little bit, I'll start the day by working on some kind of fun, quote unquote, throwaway project. Yeah. Some text art or some pop culture based art or something just for me or a gift for a friend and just kind of like working those muscles out, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. it's been wonderful fun and seeing the little things that came out as a result of my warm up exercises is some of my favorite stuff I've ever made. Mm-hmm. Funny how that happens. Sometimes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I think that, you know, we, we need to take things seriously, but we need to like not be serious about them while we're taking them seriously. You know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. So where were you before you moved to Salem? Let's see. I moved around a bit mm-hmm. right before Salem. I was in Brooklyn yeah. uh, for a year. And before that I was out, I spent nine months as a hermit in the woods of far Western Massachusetts, mm. just hermiting completely out, living all, all completely alone, uh, making art, figuring some stuff out. And before that I was in San Francisco for about five years mm. and uh, had the most wonderful time. That's where my first shaman sickness happened. That's where I started my business. That's where a lot of really important moving forward stuff happened for me. And as well, that's where art started to happen for me again. Uh, I, I stopped making art a little bit after I graduated from school. I was living in England and having one of those periods I've, I've noticed in my life, my art will go through these, uh, these phases where I'll be just sort of absorbing 
I'll be in a place like for for me, England was so full of experience. I didn't have time to make art. I was too busy soaking it in. And then I left England, moved to California and started making art about everything that I had just seen and done. Right. Yeah. And uh, it didn't hurt that in the city I was living with my, uh, my elderly artist aunt, mm-hmm. who's one of the most prolific artists I've ever met. And uh, she's, you know, full-time artist. And yeah. uh, the, the amount of work she made was just phenomenal. And the amount of exploration she was willing to do was phenomenal. So getting in there with her and really cranking out work and, and seeing what it looked like to let yourself fail mm. at art every day was really inspirational and really helped uh, get my, my productivity levels up to the point where I was able to start my business and have things happening every yeah. day. And, uh, oh, such a journey, such a good time. <laughs> yeah, it can't always be good, right? Like sometimes it's just like, ah, oh, that's horrible, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes, and sometimes, like, I remember when I was creating my first deck, which was just a set of majors, mm. and um, I was trying to do the high priestess, and I was like, it, it was the one, like, I think I did like 20 iterations of it wow. before I finally realized what was actually needed to go on, you know? And I was like, mm. oh, okay, that's the answer I'm going to now. Now I can do it. And then, and then once I sort of, this something emerged and, and it really was like a letting go, you know, for me, yeah. I was doing the, the premise of my first deck is um, what happens just before what we're accustomed to seeing and how does that influence and, and help us understand the card, right? Oh, why did the, why did the fool leave his house, right? Why, why did the emperor, what did the, what is the emperor doing before they get on the throne, right? And what was the high priestess doing before you know, she sat there, you know, in contemplation, right? And mm-hmm. and I was kept trying to draw her face. And in the end, what I realized was that the thing that the high priestess does, even though it's already such an inward card, mm-hmm. that she's even more inward before that, you know? And so mm-hmm. I ended up drawing the back of her facing her altar and praying and sitting and contemplating mm-hmm. spirit directly. Right. Oh, it was just like, it was one of those things. I was like, what's your face look like? Why is what's her expression? What she's doing. Right. And in the mm-hmm. end it was like, I don't know. I have no idea what her face looks like. <laughs> I, you know, it was that, kind of giving that up that allowed it to unfold and become, become what I thought was really great in the end. So yeah. mm-hmm. that right there, that's it. That's the, that's what of um, for me, what, the intersection between the fine art and the shamanism really came to life was the shamanism allowed me to listen even more closely to the art that wanted to come out and not to impose my will as creator, Mm. but to just let it come through me and just to listen and to treat it as a living spirit thing that wants to get physical form. It started to flow so much better with my Mm -hmm. own tarot decks that I'm working on. Now it's not me trying to come up with the best idea. I'm just letting it tell me what it is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Let me, let me get my smarts on and I'll, and I'll make something really great. Right. (laughs) Exactly. I I look back at, there's a, an abandoned project that might get resurrected in a new forum, but I, I started this sort of Gnostic, Kabbalistic, esoteric deck. And 
it's not bad. Like there's nothing wrong with it. Um, but it wasn't entirely alive either because yeah. it was very, very structured and intellectual, you know, and, mm-hmm. and there are other decks, you know, I mean, I think it's Toth deck and like the Hermetic Tarot and stuff. They, they walk that line where they're still alive and they have those layers of symbolism. But when I was working on this deck, it never got there. Right. It was very, it was very, um, mathematical in its way you know and yeah. that that kind of didn't work out very well in the longer run of that arc so yeah we'll see yeah. i'm curious how moving around has impacted your shamanic stuff you know are oh, you are man. you a shaman of place or or do the spirits just follow you wherever you go and adapt i'd say a little bit of both yeah. uh the spirits of the land are def very much an important part of my practice and my experience. And, uh, it's like, this is probably an imperfect metaphor, but it's a little bit like being non-monogamous in romantic relationships, Mm -hmm. which is my natural bent, uh, anyway. And so I have these deep, important relationships with very different spirits of land Mm -hmm. with the UK, with San Francisco with New England where I'm from and I'm living again and to have come back to New England after having been to all these other places and really developed this intense uh, deep relationship with those spirits of land has been wonderful. Mm -hmm. The northern shore of Massachusetts is a very unusual place. I don't know exactly why but it it is and everyone seems to agree everyone who's been here lived here is like yep this is weird. This place is weird. There's a lot of weirdos uh-huh. here. Uh-huh. It's very uniquely weird, but there's something about having left and come back with more shamanic knowledge that is, is electric. And I'm still figuring that out, but, uh, but I love all the spirits of land and, and I maintain my identity as a traveler very strongly so that I'm, I'm keeping the dialogue open between myself uh-huh. and those lands. And a big part of my regular Practice involves obviously you know, grounding here in the land and and um, grounding everything that I'm doing, all the offerings that I make, all the engagements I have are tapped into the land here and anchored in the land here or the land wherever I am. And that's always the first thing I do. Move uh-huh. to a new place, ground and anchor in that land, get to know what it feels like under the surface. Yeah. And I, I carry them with me in this way that's, I don't, I don't want to quite compare it to the Borg from Star Trek, but it's this sort of absor- absorption uh-huh. into myself and into my practice that just feels right. Mm. And to, um, it's like having friends all over the world. You know, I maintain those relationships, even though it's long distance. Sometimes I visit them when I can, uh, I still communicate with them since I'm still here on planet earth and all those places are here on planet earth. I can still kind of long distance communicate like, Hey, what's up California? How are you doing? Yeah. I'm good. How are you? Yeah. <laughs> and seeding those relationships by physically uh, mailing things there sometimes, mm-hmm. mailing things to my people who are there. And um, it feels in a weird way like being a kind of secret agent or, uh, or something. Mm. I'm not sure quite why. But I have that feeling of like, yeah, you know, I've got my, my agents in all the different places. And we're checking in, like, how's the land doing? Oh, is it good? Oh, oh, yeah. You got, oh, mm-hmm. okay. I'll do some work for you long. Di- yeah, okay. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, we're working it. It's, it's all happening. Shh, it's good. 
And um, I get a lot of loving flack from my mother about this. Okay. She, she likes to tease me about being what she calls a serial obsessive. You know, you get hyper fixated on an interest and you just sort uh-huh. of absorb everything you can from it. You absorb it into your very being. And then you kind of like internalize the vitality of that place, that thing, whatever it is. And then you move on. You're like, all right, I absorb San Francisco. Next. Uh-huh. Next stop, New York. What? what bah, 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 all of Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. So that you're like a, it's like a spiritual Godzilla, you know, show up. <laughs> Eat the area and be like, all right, I got it. I'm ready. Next. <laughs> yeah. That's fun. Yeah, I I often like check in with the land where mm-hmm. I wherever I end up, you know? Yeah. I mean not always. It depends on how far I travel and what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Like I was away this last weekend, but we were just doing so much structured stuff that I was like, yeah. I don't have I don't have the time to sleep enough, <laughs> let alone like connect to what's going on. <laughs> Um, but when I'm in other places, you know, definitely, you know, and like when I was in China last year, it was one of the first things I did. The first night I arrived was just like, I'm like, I feel so disorientated. I just need to like spend some time Mm -hmm. connecting with the earth here so I can be here and then do what I need to do for the time that I'm around and working Mm -hmm. and stuff. So, you know, yeah. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting how, um, spirits can kind of come and go you know or like step forward and step back you know yeah absolutely absolutely and i've noticed the same thing happens with tarot decks i work with a lot of different decks i have a huge Uh sack of them right over here on the floor and um they will step forward or step back as needed sometimes tarot of the cat people just wants to be all up in my face and that's Mm -hmm. the only deck i'll read with for weeks or months and then yeah. it'll be like, all right, I've said what I need to say right now. <clears throat> Move on. And it will step back and it will just sort of stop, you know, working for me kind of. Mm. And you're like, okay, all right, next. And another deck will step forward and be like, now I want to work with you right now. Mm-hmm. Or there'll be two of them vying for attention at the same time. And it's the same with uh, the rest of my spirits. They'll step and, forward, and step back. Do you feel the spirits, uh, the cards uh, have a spirit? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I feel like each card has a spirit and then each deck has its own spirit. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And they're and- like people as well. You know, sometimes you meet people and you instantly click and it's amazing. Sometimes you meet people and you're like, I just do not get you. Mm-hmm. I can't read you. I don't know what you're about. You are a mystery to me. Mm-hmm. And there are decks like that for me. I'll look at them and be like, mm, do not know what you're saying. Can't understand yeah. a word of what you're trying to say. Yeah, I feel I, I I run into people who have that way of or that experience, and mm-hmm. uh, it's never really been my experience. So I'm always very curious about it. Yeah. Um, because for me, I have one spirit that helps me with reading the cards, mm-hmm. and they've been around for the whole time I've been working with cards. Um, but over time, they've basically been like, "No, no, no, this kind of deck. No, 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 that deck." You know, mm-hmm. and so there's been this sort of, um, well, literally my guide came forward one time and said, if you'd like to give good readings, then read with the, the Tarot de Marseille. If you don't care, do whatever you like, but that's where you're going to be better. And I was like, all right. And then it was this process of nailing down which deck was the one that was most like what she read with when she was alive. 
Mm. And, and, and that was also a process of, okay, so it was the Marseille, and then it was the Jean Noble, and then it was this photo reproduction of the deck from the Bibliothèque Nationale in France that Joseph Peterson put out. Wow. And now she's like, that's, that, that is not, it's not the deck she had, but it is mm. the closest that she thinks is left wow. that I'll ever be able to get that's at. Fascinating. You know? And so it's, it's, it's funny for me because I mean, I run a store and I, you know, I teach mm. lots of things. I do lots of different decks kind of for other people and on other people's behalf. But for me, I'm kind of done. You know, when yeah. Joseph's deck came out, you know, I just took three of them and put them in the drawer on top of the one that I was already reading with. Cause I'm just <laughs> like, that's it. I, I need to make sure I have enough forever. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. So with your approach though, mm-hmm. do you feel like the decks themselves have an entity or a consciousness that you're interacting with mm-hmm. or are they like the Borg? They're different units that are plugging into your central, you know, central shamanic hub as it were. And, and they're just kind of variable extensions of, of parts of your consciousness. That's a great question. I feel it may be a a little bit of both. Ultimately Mm -hmm. my experience of the decks is as these sort of entities, these spirit entities, but those entities themselves feel like a bit of an amalgamation. You know, Mm -hmm. they are made up of, the unique spirit of that deck, the sort of personality of the deck, which itself is made up of each of the cards. And that, that own, each card has its own entity and own sort of personality and its own mm-hmm. spiritual uh, yeah, sense of beingness, which may be slightly different or very different depending on the different decks, but each card has its... I, I can compare it to astrology in a way where you're looking at you know, everyone has the planet Mars in their chart, but each planet in a different sign has a different flavor. It feels different. It acts differently. It will come across a different way and it will interact with the rest of those planets and signs and houses in a, what ultimately equates to a unique personality, a unique Mm -hmm. expression of being. Sure. And, and yeah, that is very much how I encounter the, the decks is like people, which is what we are. We're amalgamations of our parents, our lineage, everything we've ever done and seen, mm-hmm. as well as our own unique flair and flavor. Mm-hmm. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Neat. Um, yeah, I'm always curious because the, for, for me and my practice, there's this sort of distinction that I draw between what are sort of object concrete entities in their mm-hmm. own right mm-hmm. and what are these sort of other things that are constructs or topography or convenient symbol and language mm-hmm. that, that these entities or or even parts of my consciousness or unconsciousness might sort of pop on mm-hmm. to you know to sort of deliver messages or, or frame the conversation so I, I love sort of thinking about these things because, because I'm always very curious about what's, what it is that's going on when people are working in other, in other styles or other approaches, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah. yeah. I suppose my style is, is very animistic, which mm-hmm. has always been my worldview and always been my experience of the world. Even as a child, things are alive and they talk to me and they, uh, 
engage with me. And as a child, it upset me very much when people didn't treat objects with the same respect that they treated people. Mm. Certain objects anyway. I don't know if it was across the board, all objects all the time, mm. but uh, for the most part, things that I could tell were had a, a, a force of some kind attached to them that would deeply upset me when people did not treat them that way. But of course, as a child, I did not have the vocabulary to share that with other children. Mm-hmm. Explain to them why it upset me that you disrespected me and this object by cavalierly yeah. tossing it about. How dare you, child? How dare you? That rock, it had a lot of things to say. <laughs> and they're like, give me another rock. I'm like, yeah, but that was my friend. That rock was my friend. You threw my friend away. Uh-huh. <sighs> yeah. I remember one time as a, a child, we were, our class was on a field trip to the high school. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, shortly after the movie, The Indian in the Cupboard had come out. And the VHS tapes came with a little plastic Indian from the movie, the replica. And I just was captivated. This little plastic man was like a friend to me. I carried him in my pocket everywhere I went. And uh, one of the bullies in my class, we we're in the bathroom, all taking our bathroom break. And she grabbed it out of my hands and threw it in the air just as someone flushed a toilet and came out of the stall and down it went and was flushed away. Mm. And all of us just stood there with our mouths open like, I can't believe that just happened. What are the odds that that's where yeah. it would land? And I had no, I was completely flabbergasted. I had no words to explain the depth of the hurt that had just been done to me. They were like, I'll buy you a new one, whatever. I'm like, no, you don't understand. That guy, that was my, that was my guy. That was the one. That was the one. Yeah. I don't care if it's an identical plastic mold. It's not the same. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, there, and there are those things, right? Yeah. And it's funny. It's interesting to me too, because there are those things that I work with and use spiritually Mm-hmm. You know, like I often, um, I often carry a, like a crystal or other things that I'm kind of working with at a given time. And those things definitely, some of them, some of them, they all have an aliveness to them that I work with for sure. Mm-hmm. Some of them I get so attached to. Mm-hmm. And some of them when they, when they, when they end up going away, I'm just like, eh, whatever. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, eh, your time is done. You want to be elsewhere. Or what have you, right? And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then other things, you know, like when they kind of you know, get shuffled somewhere or, you know, like I take them out and realize it's time to have a break and then they resurface. I was like, wow, how did I ever even stop working with this energy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I used to work with uh, St. Expedite a lot. Oh, yeah. And uh, I recently found i mean i was kind of knew where it was but recently sort of came across a painting that i had done of him and immediately it started talking to me and i was like and it wasn't mad it wasn't like dude you've been hiding me away it's like all right i'm ready you're ready let's go let's do some more stuff together fantastic i'm like all right let's do it love that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. that is a blessing of getting older uh, was was learning like okay I might misplace this but it will come back when the time is right yeah yeah as a child you know not knowing that the sort of totemic energy attached to that toy very was could possibly return to me in another form that it was mm-hmm. not intrinsically tied to this little plastic molded toy 
as a child, you don't have the context for that. But as a as an adult spiritual practitioner, realizing, okay, you know, case a law, so law. Yeah, there's not uh, there's not only one way in which that energy can come through to you, right? Mm-hmm, exactly. There's not only one place or one kind or mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. And it might be in the best interest for it to step back for mm-hmm. a while for both of you, you know. Yeah. And then come back again and have you realize, oh wow, yeah, your value is so important to me, and mm-hmm. having that time away really makes you feel that. Mm-hmm. For mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Do you um do you do a lot of plant ally stuff too? Do you have plants that you're working with? Oh yes. Oh uh-huh. yes. Um I've always it's always been a, a it's not my greatest strength. Uh, and it's been a source of great frustration to me my whole life because my mother is a gardener mm. and she has quite the green thumb. She can make anything grow. And uh I do not seem to have inherited that gift. Yeah. Uh, so the living plants in my life that I work with are tend to be wild. Wild plants are my my main spirit allies, um, and as well, I work with tea. Tea is my guy. Mm. Uh, the plant, the Camellia sinensis plant, as well as tea sains and other herbs, brewed as tea, both with the tea plant and on their own, and that's been something that has always been tied to my my magical and spiritual practice. The Mm-hmm. The year that I really got involved in witchcraft as a young person was the same year that I got introduced to tea, right. almost within within a few months of each other. Yeah, and it's uh they were very present as well in my shaman sickness. Uh, mm-hmm. I had ingested some spirit allies, some plant spirit allies that really were carrying the physical aspect of the illness for me, and um, shifting that perspective and. Um, it's something that I've been deepening in the last couple of years, but is endlessly fascinating to me. And part of what's helped deepen that is, is creating friendships with some really talented plant shamans and plant workers. Um, uh, in unpacking, I just uncovered my flying ointments from Sarah Ann Lawless, uh-huh. which are some of my favorite tools to work with. It fascinates me the way that plants affect different people different ways depending on your body chemistry. Um, I know people who cannot drink tea after maybe 2 or 3 p.m. because the caffeine will keep them up. Yeah, I can drink a pot of black tea at midnight and be fine. Mm-hmm. No problem. Uh, and that's, that's also not uncommon against people with people who have that ADHD true, kind, true, of, true. It can kind be, of thing, right? You know? Yeah, exactly. It almost works the opposite sometimes. Mm-hmm. Or it's just like, yeah, no, no problem. Yeah, whatever. Um, caffeine? Yeah. Um, don't know her. Never met her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, it's really interesting how uh, we, we all have places or, or kinds of things that open more easily to us, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like, like the, whether it's a particular plant or whether it's, you know, uh, plants versus minerals versus, mm-hmm. you know, in your case, pigments and water versus, you know, whatever, right? Like, I think yeah. that, that we have these sort of natural inclinations and, you know, I mean, just like in our astrology chart, sort of sorting them out and finding out where are those, where are those fortes and, and good places to start and so on can be so helpful you know oh yeah absolutely and one of the things I do often with clients when I'm working with clients who are 
seeking to understand their own spiritual gifts better is looking at your childhood. What were you drawn to as a child? For me, it was animals. Animals was my jam. And so now as an adult, I find not coincidentally, but a lot of the shamanic work I do is animal spirit totems, Mm. helping spirits who are specifically animals, do a lot of animal retrieval. And it's one of the easiest things for me to do. It takes, it can take maybe 30 seconds to Mm. go on a shamanic journey and retrieve an animal helping spirit. It is such an easy flow for me, whereas plants and the language of plants is something much more private and personal that I really have to consciously work on and deepen except for that small handful of plant allies that are just like you me let's do this let's go ride or die (laughs) exactly yeah that's awesome yeah i i'm one of those people i have a very green thumb Mm. so i grow all sorts of stuff and you know actually the pomegranate plant that we have at the store just grew its first pomegranate which was super exciting so, you know, it's, uh, yeah, oh, it's definitely good, you know, and I, I, I love to spend a lot of time in my childhood. I lived sort of on the edge of town where it was sort of mostly mm-hmm. forest between our place and the next oh, place. Lovely. And so I spent a lot of time in the woods, just kicking around, mm-hmm. playing games with my friends or just hanging out, you know, and, uh, and it's something I love to do now near the store. There's this nice ravines that run through Toronto mm-hmm. and, uh, I just go in there and hang out and, you know, stuff happens. It's, it's wonderful. And oh, they just yeah. start talking and, you know, yeah. Oh yeah. The forest. Oh, what a magical place. That's been one of my favorite things about coming back to new England. The woods yeah. of new England are really uh, important for me. Mm-hmm. Really special. Um, today happens to be the 19 years to the day since the first um, group ritual I ever did. Wow. Uh, Blue moon, January, 1999. Uh, I invited a couple of girls from school over to my house and mm-hmm. one of them, her mother was, must've been Wiccan or something. And she kind of taught us how to do your basic circle casting, call in the quarters kind of thing. And we had a little ritual. We went around the circle, went around the table, took turns saying nice things about each other. And then uh, after some, some round blue frosted scones, my mother drove us to the woods And we climbed this abandoned stone tower that's in the middle of the woods by the golf course in my hometown. And I have some photographs. I'm so glad I have actual photographs of us on that tower under the moon with the moon in the background. These little girls having a great time. And those woods really held it and anchored it for that to be the ending of our first ritual ever. And we loved it so much. We were like, you know what? Let's just, um, let's do this again next month on the full moon. How about that? For a bunch of 11-year-olds, that was a pretty good uh, commitment. We managed it for maybe six solid months, meaning every full moon. And uh, those woods really were the catalyst. They were the, it's amazing. the container for that. It was so... Mm. Something about being here and in the trees of this land that's just like, yep, these are like my grandparents. Mm-hmm. They took care of me. Thanks, guys. <laughs> I love it. I definitely love it. So if you're listening, go find your go find your trees. Go hang out with them. Let them anchor you. Yeah, spend some time with it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the last few years, whenever I'm, uh, I go to New York and go to Reader Studio, which is a mm-hmm. conference there, um, at the place where they were having it, there were these cherry trees out front, 
and uh, they'd usually be blossoming then. So that would be just like all the flowers on the ground. Oh, and, you know, after like a few days with like 200 other people doing greetings around you and stuff, I'd just be like, yeah. I'm overwhelmed. And I'll just go out there and, you know, stand there. And last year I was standing under the tree and the wind came and swirled around me and lifted all those petals up. And oh. It was like this sort of bath of those flowers and the tree and, I had my hands on it, just grounding myself and stuff. I'm like, All right, I'm ready for more. Let's go. You know, mm, it could be so that. wonderful. Oh, yeah. that's beautiful. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it has been delightful chatting with you. For people mm-hmm. who want to follow your orbit and see your your art and, and other wonderful things that you're up to, where where should they go? Where are you where are you hanging it online? Well, you can find me um, on social media at tarot and t you can also find me uh, on instagram at page zafariu just my name and at page zafariu.com and that's um page with an i and zafario is z-a-f-e-r-i-o-u and you can remember to spell that because it has all the vowels in alphabetical order a-e-i-o-u and we'll put a link in the show notes in case uh in case it uh, it sounds it spells just like it sounds doesn't quite work out. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Paige. It's been thank wonderful. You so much for having me, Andrew. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, I hope you've really enjoyed it. Uh, a big thanks to the lovely human beings who have put some wonderful reviews on iTunes for the podcast. Please do consider supporting the Patreon. You know, I sound like a PBS ad, but seriously, even a dollar helps. It all adds up towards being able to make all sorts of exciting things happen, both for yourself and for others. So head on over to patreon.com slash the hermit's lamp, or use the link in the show notes. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.